You are listening to Reach MD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. As more and more doctors and patients use email, it seems like common sense that email should be a standard part of the business of medicine. But apparently it is not. According to recent studies, only about 25% of physicians communicate with patients via email, even though recent polls suggest that 80% of patients would like to email their physicians. So, if we're not already doing it, should we start using email with our patients? Welcome to the Business of Medicine on ReachMD XM233. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Kaskill. Here with me today is consultant Bruce Cleveland. Bruce has been involved with the healthcare technology field for over 20 years and has the majority of time focused on technology for doctors' offices, specifically the electronic medical record and related products. He is currently president of Cleveland Consulting, Inc., an independent consulting firm specializing in advisory services to technology vendors and provider organizations. Bruce, welcome to the show. Thank you, Larry. Bruce, why do you think more physicians uh, are not using email to communicate with their patients? And as a physician, do I really want to be doing this? Yes, I think email is an effective way of communicating uh, with your patients. However, there are some things you need to consider before you start. I think the reason why more people aren't is that they're, they're afraid that once they open the door, they're going to get deluged with email and be um, so overwhelmed that they won't be able to do their jobs. And I think they're also concerned that, um, boy, I'm going to be spending time on things for which I will not be reimbursed. Is that a legitimate concern? Uh, will I or the physician who tries this, will we be reimbursed? Well, the first question I'd say is that at least on the volume of calls, at least anecdotally, that people that have used email uh, are not finding that they are overwhelmed. And so, I mean, for instance, there's a, a study there that says one group found that about their organization averaged about two and a half messages per patient per year. So I, I don't think that concern is going to be a, a huge one, although as the populace uh, continues to uh, have a comfort level with email, that you're going to see that more and more email happen. As it relates to reimbursement, it is true that the majority of insurance companies do not reimburse for email communications. From their perspective, an email is just like a telephone call, which is typically not a billable event. Right, which it should be. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's true. There are, there are some insurers that are warming up to the idea of, a, of paying for an e-visit, Okay, e-visit sounds like a virtual visit. What exactly is it? Well, an e-visit is, as opposed to a simple email communication, is a very uh, highly structured email encounter in which uh, typically the patient fills out a form on a physician's website, describes their symptoms, and then the physician responds to that form, often with the ability to attach patient education or other instructions. And typically that e-visit gets paid at a rate of 30 to $35 per visit, including the patient uh, copay. So the 30 to $35 sounds reasonable if it's taking 10 minutes of the doctor's time to figure it out. What I worry about is that patients will call or email, forgive me, and say, doctor, I have a sinus infection. This is the same sinus infection I get every year. This is the antibiotic I want. Please give it to me. Because they do that now and don't want to come in. And what I'm worried about is that I can't see the patient, I can't examine the patient, and I'm going on their diagnosis, and I'm giving them what they want. And so really they are playing doctor, and I'm just a drug pusher, and I can get sued because I'm going along with their diagnosis, and I have no way of confirming it, and uh, I don't like it. 
So what do you say to that, Bruce? Well, what I would say is that if you get an email communication from a patient that is asking for something from you for which you do not feel comfortable providing without seeing them in person, it's very simple to say, Mr. Jones, I appreciate your concern. Let's uh, schedule an appointment for you to come in so we can take a look at this condition. Okay, so that makes sense. I'm allowed the leeway to decide whether or not I want to commit to that e-visit. Absolutely. And then if I turn down an e-visit, though, I'm wondering if the lawyers will have a field day with that. If the patient goes on to suffer a stroke or God knows what, and I turn down their consultation. But we'll see what happens with that. Bruce, what about for new patients? It doesn't sound like a great idea for new patients. but Absolutely not. <laughs> okay, so we agree on that. Yes. it Really, the, the e-visit is intended as a follow-up to an existing patient that you've already seen. All right. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, I am constantly concerned about protecting myself and my practice. Sure. And, and all my employees and their families who depend on me for their livelihood. So now that we're in this technological age and our patients want this, how can I protect myself while providing care, again, when I can't see the patient? Well, I think this goes back to what we were saying before, Larry, which was that, uh, number one, uh, you are not required in any way, shape, or form to do something over email that you don't feel comfortable with in terms of needing to see them in person. The beauty of email communication is in contrast to a telephone call, it does provide a written record of right. communication right. With, the, a, with the patient. There's a good paper trail. Yes, there's an excellent paper trail, which you certainly do not have with a telephone call. And so I think, actually, email communication is one that provides you with an additional set of protection that you really don't have uh, with the telephone. Bruce? Is it possible to have a nurse practitioner or a physician assistant performing the e-visit? Absolutely. And actually, you bring up a very, very good point, is that one of the nice things about email communication is that you can direct the email communication from the patient to a general inbox, Mm -hmm. which then can be uh, dealt with by the appropriate staff. Right, or whoever has the time to deal with it. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't all have to go to the doctor. If it needs to go to the doctor, then there can be a person that sort of parses out these different messages, can send it over to the doctor for their response. Mm-hmm. To your point, you can use the, a physician assistant, a nurse, or a nurse practitioner to deal with a lot of these routine uh, questions. Yes, that would be nice. Back to reimbursement for a minute. If uh, insurance companies are still kind of standing on the edge watching... Can a physician just charge directly to the patient, and how is that usually received by the patient? The answer to that is, yes, of course, the physician can charge, and you'll see models ranging anywhere from $20 a month to $50 a year in which the doctor will directly charge the patient. Obviously, they have to to sign up for it. Mm -hmm. You know, there's been no studies that have confirmed whether or not this is being embraced. My own gut feeling is that a lot of patients might not sign up. Right. And as a result, then some physicians are just saying, you know what, having email as part of my practice is just a better way of doing business, and so I'm just going to make it a part of the way that I run my practice. Are they doing it just to compete with other practices that are doing it? Just kind of, well, if everyone else is doing it, I better jump on this bandwagon. I think actually that hasn't happened yet. (laughs) I think they're doing it to say, I'm different from those other practices, and I'm going to offer this uh, additional level of service to my customers to differentiate myself from the majority of practices who currently aren't doing it. So I am not late to the party. The party has Absolutely yet to be not. gone. 
Okay, yeah, well, that's, that's good correct. to know. So if I decide to offer this to my patients, I can think of myself as being a pioneer on the cutting edge of practicing medicine in 2007. That is an absolute correct statement. Tell me again why you think that email is, is better than a phone call. Well, there's a number of reasons why. Is uh, Number one, it's very fast. Uh, as anyone who uses email knows that you can respond very quickly and for the, a number of routine requests, you don't get into the additional texture or meandering that can occur on a telephone call. It's asynchronous, meaning that you don't have to have the, the sender and the receiver at the same place at time. Mm-hmm. A person can respond on their schedule. And this is particularly useful if you've got a patient in a different time zone who, who wants some help. And then the final thing is that an email can actually allow you to add a written instructions or documentation that you might normally provide over the phone, which in at least in some instances, are not going to be necessarily readily absorbed or understood by the patient. Right. When I'm on call or at night when I get a phone call, I will give lots of advice on that phone call, tell them to do lots of things, and it kind of just gets lost, and it's never written down anywhere. Uh, Hopefully the lawyers aren't listening and won't go after me, but uh, I think that's common to most physicians, and this would be nice to document everything because anything that's coming out of my mind is being documented. Absolutely. And those instructions, instead of having to explain them, mm-hmm. you can say, look, I've got some instructions on this particular thing. I'm just going to attach that and send it right to you. And, and they have it right there, and they'll go, wow, this is great. I'm thinking that if we open this door an inch, patients will demand this, and then um, they'll want more and more, and they'll want their emails answered within an hour. Actually, you bring up a very, very good point, which is if you set this up, you do have to establish some protocols and operating procedures about what the patient should expect. Anywhere I could go, do you know of any sources on the Internet or that you have personally that would help someone set up a protocol? The AMA actually has done a pretty good job of establishing some guidelines uh, about the use of email communication. They've looked Mm -hmm. at it pretty hard, and when I was doing some investigations area, I used a lot of their guidelines to help me, uh, you know, understand what the current policy. You can just go to the AMA website, uh, look under email communications, and and you will find something there that's really pretty good. Next thing that just popped in my head was, is there a way to have the money paid, such as when you buy something on eBay, you pay PayPal. Is there something that exists for physicians where that money is handled elsewhere? They've put in a credit card before the email is sent, and the doctor doesn't have to worry about collecting the money. You can absolutely set that up as part of a email communication protocol. And and what would happen in that scenario? You will need a, a third-party tool, which mm-hmm. would be part of a email system, But what would happen is that before, in this case, an e-visit is engaged, the patient would be prompted to put in their credit card number, the money would be collected, the e-visit would be done, bang, you you go on to the next thing, there's no collection issues because you've gotten the money. Right, that is very appealing. Yeah. All right, so let's say I decide I want to do this. Do I have to hire any additional staff? Do I have to add e-hours to our day? What, what do I have to do to get this going? Well, one of the things that I would certainly not recommend that you don't just say, hey, everybody, I'm in the email business. Here's my Hotmail or my MSN account. Go mm-hmm. ahead and email me. Right. The standard traditional internet email is really not secure enough to meet the current standards for privacy in American medicine. Therefore, one of the first things that I would recommend is that you will need to purchase a secure email service. And these things are indeed services. They're just like buying Internet service. They range from $20 to $75 per doctor per month. 
And once you purchase that, of course, there is some setup involved, and it typically is certainly less setup than probably would be involved in setting up a phone system. But you'll have to register your name. You'll have to put a link on your, uh, assuming you have a website, mm-hmm. from your website to the secure messaging component so patients can get in and actually use it. Uh, but after the initial setup, which shouldn't be terribly hard, you'll be ready to rock and roll. Excellent. Uh, Excellent. And so it's, once it is started, it's really just then a matter of receiving the emails and responding to them and setting up your internal protocol to direct them to the right place so that they aren't just going to the doc. They really should be going to some central staff person who can divvy them out as appropriate. I am definitely going to pursue this idea, and I want to thank our guest, Bruce Cleveland, for helping us understand the writing on the wall when it comes to the email debate. I'm Dr. Larry Caskell, and you've been listening to The Business of Medicine on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.